the voice of God is calling to the heart is calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crowd and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Does a place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and will not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it, if you'll go in Jesus' name. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crowd, and you can win it, if you'll go in Jesus' name. There's a crowd, and you can win it, if you'll go in Jesus' name. Before we get started, though, I know I have the largest audience we'll have today. It's Sunday evening. Some of, some of y'all might not be able to make it back. But um, from me to the church family here, I just wanted to, uh, like I said, with the most truth, just Thank you for uh, uh, your kindness extended not only to myself, the honor that you gave to my wife last week, totally unexpected, and uh, um, beyond words of uh, appreciation, uh, just uh, the way you've taken us in, and um, we feel rightfully at home here. Uh, we've, we've known some of you from last year, and even more this year, and we're, we're so thankful for that, and uh, also my son. David and his wife, Michaela, coming in uh, this last week on Wednesday, and just the, the way you've embraced them and made them feel well. Uh, uh, Brother Kevin taking us out to do a little fishing. Um, so thankful for that. I mean, taking time out of your schedules to, you know, take care of us. <laughs> um, um, and, and Brother Josh, you know, take us and spend some time. And just everything has just been a blessing to us. And again, just the opening up, and of course, the Bills. Uh, our friends uh, give him a hard time, but um, you know he, he's a great blessing in our life, and uh, hopefully you are as well to him. And uh, of course, Pastor and uh, his wife, you know, you guys are taking us in, and, and we just can't we can't name anybody, uh, you know, all of you by name, but all of you have been an integral part of us enjoying our stay here, and we are truly thankful. I just wanted to make sure you knew that if we didn't get to personally tell you, so and, and we're going to be over there for some pizza this afternoon, so if you're there, uh, we'd like to get knowing you, and uh, it's just been a real blessing, so thank you so much. Um, if you would, uh, turn over to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to look at a portion of scripture in Luke chapter 12, and also chapter 16 of the same chapter, and I'll bring some other uh, so verses as we go along. You can write them down, but I would encourage you, when the man of God is up here, follow along in your, your Bible. Um, I'm fallible, 
and so are the other men of God, but our Bible is not fallible. It's infallible. You need to make sure that what you're hearing is coming from the Word of God. Amen. Uh, so in, in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, we'll read down to 21, and then I'll have a word of prayer, and I'll have another part of Scripture there. But in, in chapter 12, verse 16, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruit? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And, I'll, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thou soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be in this sacred pulpit. Lord, again, I never take it lightly. I know that I'm only a man and I'm not worthy, but thankfully to you, Lord, through the, the, the blood of your son uh, has cleansed me, Lord, and allowed me to be used of you, Lord, and I thank you for that. I pray today that you would uh, work in the hearts of those here today. There may be some here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, and I pray that they can settle that today before it's eternally too late that they'd come to know Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. And for those of us that already have you as our Savior, that you would challenge our hearts to do more for you as we draw closer to thee. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you turn over, just for a look, into chapter 16 of the same book in Luke, I won't read this for time's sake, but just give you an overview. The difference between the first verse that we read is a parable. This here is an actual story. The reason we know that is there's a name mentioned here, Lazarus, uh, and in the parables you won't find those names mentioned. But in this uh, secondary story, in, in uh, verse 19 through the end of the chapter, you're dealing with Lazarus and the rich man, and we know that both of them die, and that's kind of the point here, Lazarus representing the saved in this, and the rich man the lost. But what I want you to concentrate on this morning, and what the, if there's a message title I wrote down is the unexpected. Uh, in Job, if you're familiar with the, uh, the book of Job, he lost all his worldly possessions and his ten children all in one day. Yet, he was a perfect and upright man and feared God and eschewed evil. Now, when we say perfect, we know he wasn't perfect in the sense of not without sin, but he was perfect in his way that he served God. He had a heart for those things of God. But the idea here is with Lazarus and the rich man, and also this, as the Bible calls him, fool, that had set aside all these things, the same thing happens to all of us, is that death comes. But in that, the unexpected also happens. So if you're not saved today, there is a reason behind that. And again, I'm talking to a congregation that I would be under the impression that you're saved. But let me warn you this before we get started into the message. You might fool your spouse. You might even fool yourself sometimes. You might fool your pastor, but you're not fooling God. Let me give you just a little warning. Don't let pride get in the way if you're not saved today. I don't care how long you've been sitting in this congregation, how long you've been married. I've seen, I've seen and heard through many occasions people that went, so long, and everybody thought, and then when they came forward, they couldn't believe it. But the, the point is, is that, look, 
Don't let pride get in the way of your salvation. I'll tell you right now, if you're here and you've been here for any amount of time, and everybody thinks you're saved and you're not, the only thing that's going to happen is rejoicing, is that you get it right with God. And now, if there's some here that don't know God, there'll be quite a few things at the beginning of the message, and we'll tell it off to those that are ready to accept them. So if you're not saved today, there is a reason. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says that the God of this world hath blinded their minds. You see, if you're sitting here and you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's because of Lucifer. He's blinding your, he's blinding your mind. So we want to look at some of those things. So what does he blind our minds with? Well, first off, he uses time. He likes to use time. He wants you to think that you have plenty of it. The Bible tells us in James 4.14, your life is but a vapor. Our church here next Sunday, and that's one of the reasons we want to be back in time, we do a protect and serve Sunday. Now, years ago, it used to be called God and Country. But for those of you in here that are of age, what are we going to be looking at on 9-11? How many years is it going to be? 21 years. So we change it from God and Country to protect and serve, and we honor our military, our EMS, our, uh, uh, all those type of things, our corrections, our uh, politicians, and we set aside to the closest Sunday to 9-11 and honor them for what they do. And we do a big thing with, the, the, they all come out and the fire trucks and the kids can have hands on, and we introduce them to the goodness of law enforcement, not what the society wants to portray them as. There's a lot of sacrifice behind those things. I'm thankful for them. But the point here is, is 9-11 being observed. The devil wants you to think you have all the time in the world. Now, I would tell you on 9-11-01, I was working for the prison, and I was sitting out on a bleacher out in front of the chow hall waiting for us to start releasing buildings to chow. And as I sat there, it was probably about 6.45, because we started releasing around that time, 6.30 in the morning. And uh, a few inmates came by as they started to come out to go to the chow hall, and one of them told me as they came by, hey, did you, hey Nelson, did you hear that, that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center? And I'm a New Yorker, and I'm very familiar with the city down there. We lived in the country, but we would go down there and see those as a normal view in the skyline. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty, pretty sad. Um, I'm sure some lives were lost in that. And I know that there's pictures in the Empire State Building of small Cessna-type planes that have hit the building and had to have been pulled out. And so I thought, okay, so, you know, I'll get the scoop on that. And I said, so, so what was it, a little plane? He says, no, he said it was a passenger jet. A jet. And I was like, a, a passenger jet, you're sure? And hearing it from them, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, okay, all right. So I sat there, and the rest started filing out. And uh, a little bit of time went by, and another one said, hey, another plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. And uh, at that point, it got my attention. By the time we finished what we were doing and I got inside, one of the inmates comes up and tells me, hey, one of the buildings collapsed. And I was thinking, are you talking about the top fell off? You know? And he said, no, the, the building actually collapsed. And so by the time I got in there to a television after the duties I had to perform, both towers had collapsed. Now, I tell you this because 2,000... 977 people lost their life that day. When you count the other ones that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and into the Pentagon. But the point is, they started their day with time. 
I guarantee you, as I stand here today, not one of them thought my life is going to end today by a terrorist act. They didn't think that one time. They thought, you know what? I've been invited to church. I've been told the gospel. I've got time. I can put that aside. I've got too much on my plate right now. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for the Lord. And that's one of the things that he likes to do. He likes to think that you have time. You might be sitting here right now, and in your mind is, you know what, maybe we'll come back tonight. First of all, if you're a member of this church and actively saved, you shouldn't even be thinking about whether you're going to be here tonight. It should be settled. But for some of you that may not be saved, maybe you're coming back tonight in your mind. But you could pull down here, Tanner Crab, and make your right hand turn to go downtown to have Papa's Pizza. And somebody that's not paying attention on the road might take your life from you. Because the devil wants to tell you you've got time. It was just guaranteed. You're sitting here right now. You took a breath of air. Did you think about it? Who guaranteed that? Aneurysm? Heart attack? Stroke? Look, I'm, if I'm scaring you, good. Because if you ain't saved, you need to really consider because the devil wants you to think you got all the time in the world. You don't. The Bible tells you, but it's a but of vapor. Our life slips away so quickly, but eternity will last forever. In Revelation, Revelation 20.15 and Revelation 21.8, it says that if you're not found in the book of life, that you'll end up in the lake of fire. You have Brother Josh here says his parents are going to be celebrating 50 years. I believe Brother or Pastor Omnia has 50-plus packing past it now. 50-plus years, correct, brother? Okay, so we're knocking 50 there, 50 years. But but let me ask you, brother, pastor, how fast has that gone by? <laughs> Not the answer you want, brother. Hey, you deal with him the way you want. It, it, but in all seriousness, you have young folks sitting here. You have some young folks in the front. My son is in his 20s and his wife. But look, me and my wife are wearing our 50s. And some of you are in your 60s and 70s. But when you look in the mirror, you, you say, where did it go? It was like that. It's just instantaneous. You, you know, your mind and your body says, I can still do all the things that I did when I was 20. But, but you know, you can't, you can't get there because your body's failing you. You know, we weren't designed to die. And our minds, our soul, we're going to go on with the Lord. And so the mind thinks that we can do these things, but our body breaks down. But it's so quick. Enjoy what you have for your youth because you're going to look in the mirror and it's going to be gone. You're going to look in the mirror and say, who is that old person? Who is this? But our, our time slips away, our youth. He wants you to think it's there forever. He uses prosperity. Mark 8.36 says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In 1 Timothy 6.17-19, it talks about those that trust him in certain riches. Ted Turner once made this statement that Christianity is a crutch for the poor. It's not a crutch for me. It's my strength every single day. And riches are fleeting. In Revelation 3.17, the church at Laodicea was spoken to. It was a rich church. But even though they were saved, that was a church that was in Christ. They were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Why? They took their focus off the Lord and on riches. He wants you, especially if you're lost with prosperity, he wants you to think that money is all that matters. The work in the profession that I worked in was, was so... So bountiful in, in money. Um, 
I was making at the time I retired, and it's even more now. I don't even remember forty-five, forty-six dollars an hour, and overtime was time and a half, and holidays was double time, and officers could work twenty overtimes a month and then recycle, meaning they'd use their seniority to get jobs, and then once they had their twenty based on their seniority, they'd recycle, meaning they would go to the bottom of the list, but they'd still get the phone call. You'd see officers doing twenty, thirty overtimes a month. I kid you not. And they would have checks, tens, fifteen thousand dollars extra a month. But what is the what? But what has prosperity done for people? I've seen that ruin their families. I've seen them lose everything. And you know what's even worse than the tangible things that I can see on the surface? They're losing their soul chasing that dollar. Lucifer wants you to think everything can be solved by that money. I'm going to tell you right now. I've told my children. I've told anybody I can tell. Listen. You've heard money can't buy you happiness, but here's the truth. <coughs> Spend time with those ones you love. Money is a poor substitute for the quality of life that you can have with your family. He wants you to think chasing that prosperity is going to give you something. But like I said, Ted Turner wants to say it's a crutch for me. No, sir. That's my strength every single day. I would trade in all the money I have to have my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But because he's so good to me, he's given me, he's given me finances that I can have. Because he loves me. He says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. We know that this world operates with fiscal. You have to have money. Let's not be ridiculous about it, but let's not worship it. Let's let God bless us. And as he blesses us with that, look, I'm not putting the bills on, on spot. God's blessed them. And they've shared that blessing with us in more ways than I can tell you. And I'm thankful. But that's what we're supposed to do with it. Not, not just put it in a hole for a rainy day, but bless those around you. But don't let Lucifer make you chase prosperity at the cost of your own soul, like it says. What is it going to do if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? It's not worth it. Philosophy. In Colossians 2.8, it talks about philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, and rudiments of the world. The philosophy is what wants to explain away God, but the more it tries to disprove him, the more it proves him. You know, years ago, they came up with this term, intelligent design, because they didn't want to subscribe to God, but they'll call it intelligent design. Well, well dummy, who do you think that intelligent designer is? Yeah, science doesn't want to call it for what it is. Oh, we'll call it intelligent design. Well, you ain't too intelligent. It's God. God stepped out on nothing and created it all. Somebody was telling me here just a few weeks back, one of the men from the church was telling the pastor, I just kind of got bits and pieces as I was walking through the conversation. But, you know, they try to tell us this gazillions of years old is this planet and everything around us and the solar system. Sorry, six or 7,000 years old, not to break your bubble today at best. But they're finding out, scientists, imagine that, as they try to disprove and know everything they do, they try to tell us that we're a newer galaxy, a newer, a newer system, a solar system, and that the ones that are further at the end are ancient and outdated, you know, they're long and, and old. Their science, as they so call it, is now saying, you know what, those ones out there are actually not that old. And actually, we may be older than some of the ones they thought. Well, what are they doing? They're finding out that God is perfect in what he designed. Now, I don't know how many things he's designed outside of where I live on this rock, but I know that the book he gave me helps me to navigate this rock, and I'm not worried about anything else but serving him. If God created a million universes out there, well, praise the Lord he did. I know that he created all the stars. The Bible talks about it. But I do know that the more that they try to disprove him through their philosophy, the more they find him. Vain deceit, emptiness, misleading. Satan is the father of lies, John 8, 44. Vain deceit, you know, all those lies that are out there. They try to sideline you. Tradition of men, which would be your false religion. There's two religions, 
in all reality, with all the false religions that are out there, there's do and done. Do and done. You either are looking at your baptisms, your works, your tongues, your behavior, your church attendance, all those other things, or you're looking at Calvary. Two religions. I don't care what you label them. Buddhism, you name it. Jehovah's Witnesses. Catholic, yeah, you're naming them. Yeah, I am. But listen, are we talking about going to heaven or are we talking about going to hell? Truth is truth. And truth is sometimes cut to the quick. The Bible is a two-edged sword. It's, it's a hammer. It divides things. Look, can two walk together unless they be agreed? We don't kumbaya with all of them. We stand on truth. Love them. Love them. Absolutely. We're not better than anyone. We're not better. But you can't save them by going into the muck with them. You can't reach them. I wouldn't say we save them, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, somebody's drowning. You don't swim to them. You throw them a life preserver. You go out swimming to them, they're going to pull you down. I don't care how good you're at it. They will pull you under. We send them life preservers. Who do we send? We send the Lord Jesus Christ. So the tradition of men, do or don't. Don't let pride get in the way. And the rudiments of the world, the elements that are out there that distract us, there's so much out there. It's to divert attention. Amusement, the word amuse means not think. An amusement park means to go to a place where you don't have to think. You go to Disneyland or you go to one of these magic mountains or something. What is it? I don't want to think. I want to go out there and just lose my mind on some roller coasters and get sick and puke. You don't want to think. Amusement, no thinking required. The world has a lot of amusement. Sports, entertainment, nightlife. They think this is all, you know, what it's about. Drugs, alcohol, the promiscuous lifestyle. What are these? These are all things designed by Lucifer in and of themselves. It's not the issue of them being wrong, all of them. Sports, there's nothing wrong, but in perspective. But let's not get caught up in the amusements of the world, these things that carry us away from the things of God. Look, I enjoy sports, but I'm not going to skip church to watch football. Praise the Lord, we can record those games now. I'm miserable in the football season in my church because I'll tell all the men because they want to talk and they'll check their phones. And I tell them, look, man, don't run. I'm recording it. And there's always this one guy in our church, man. I mark that guy like the plague when it's football season. I'm going to put him out there, man. Brother Mio. I hope he does hear this, man. That guy kills me. Every single year, man, I'll be recording God's team, the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, you'll be perfect one day. You'll be perfect one day. Anyways, um, and he'll say, oh, you should have seen it. Dude, I don't want to know if it was good, and I don't want to know if it's bad. Do you understand? I'm recording this. I want to go home. And inevitably, he, oh, man, I just want to, I just want to strangle him in the love of Jesus. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things out there that can, that can distract us and amuse us. But Lucifer wants to use those to keep you from the, the things of God. There's nothing wrong with certain things. But let's not let those get in the way of knowing who God is. He wants us distracted. Here's another thing. You're okay and you don't need God. Matthew 10.33 says that if you deny me before men, he's going to deny you before the Father. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed on uh, men once to die and after this the judgment. You're going to stand in front of the Lord and you're going to testify of your life whether you like it or not. Every single one of us, you need God. To me, it's very sobering to think that one day I am going to have to stand before the creator of all things. If that doesn't sober you up, there's something wrong with you. You're not going to have your spouse. You're not going to have mommy and daddy. If God decides to take yours, 
It's going to be not you and your pastor, although your pastor will give an account. The Bible says that he may do it with joy. That's dependent on you. Because he ain't going to lie for you. He ain't going to lie for you. How is the church attendance of so-and-so? Well, could you start with somebody else? <laughs> I'm just saying. But listen, you are going to stand there, and you're not going to be okay unless you have Christ. Are you so pious? Are you so high-minded that you honestly think that you can stand? Job himself, when he was complaining about the things, when he actually got the audience that he wanted, he, he said, I've got to cover my mouth. I've got nothing to say. He thought he knew what he would say. But it's going to be real sobering when you're standing there, just you and the creator, and you want to have a high mind here to say, I don't need you? The Bible is very clear that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. You're going to find yourself, and the Bible says prostrate. You're not even going to look up. You're going to lay down at his feet and not even be able to look. That's how holy he is. And there's going to be no hiding your sin. It's going to be all transparent. So you're okay and don't need God. See how that works out. That's for the law. Now for us, if you're here today and you're saved, where does that leave you? We have the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, 20, that tells us to take it out to all. Let me ask you something. You have tracks and things here, and I'm sure you have certain things with the church services and stuff. I know you have the John and Romans, and it has... Everything back on the back of that talks about uh, your services and stuff. Without a raising of hands, I'm not trying to do that, but just on a personal level, when was the last time you really invited somebody to church? When's the last time you took the investments that God has given this church in getting out the gospel, which is commanded, not optional, that you stopped by the back and you took three or four of those invitations and personally went up to somebody and said, hey, Hey, you know what? We go over here. You go talk to the church. You know, I'd just like to lead you in church. You don't have to walk through the gospel. It's printed on most of your material. It's a seed. One plants, another waters. God gives the increase. You're not responsible. You're not responsible for what they do with it, but you are responsible to give it because that's what you're supposed to do. You don't know if it's going to grow. That's not your responsibility. That's his. I would challenge you when you go today, and, and, and I'm not going to watch you, and I'm sure your pastor's not going to. I'm just trying to challenge you in a tangible way to say, hey, pastor, can I get three tracks? This week, before next Sunday, I'm going to take three tracks, and I'm going to invite somebody. If you took the congregation here as a whole, I don't know how many people are here. We'll just say 40 people. Times three. There's 120 invitations that are going to go out this week alone. Wouldn't it be nice to come next Sunday and find visitors that you've never met before, sitting in your pews, lost people that don't know who Christ is, with an opportunity to have a man of God stand here and give them the gospel? You know, the next greatest thing to your own salvation is that of leading someone out. There's nothing greater in my life that I count is that when I'm able to reach somebody. Not even the preaching. I enjoy it. I'm thankful I can preach. And if I can prod or provoke people to have a better relationship with the Lord... But the greatest thing that I get an opportunity to be part of, even though God says he doesn't need me because he can accomplish it all without me, is that he would use me to reach another human being with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a great opportunity for you. I would challenge you. I would not only challenge you, I would kind of plead with you to do God 
the honor that he deserves and take some of your tracks. And again, not being wasteful of the investments that this church, your money that you've put into the plate, that it would be used wisely, that we would take it to a lost and dying world. Pick up three and say, you know what? I'm going to do my part this week. I'm going to invite three people to come to New Hope. John 4.35 says, the fields are white unto harvest. Do you understand what that means? We're in an agriculture area, and we've seen wheat, and we've seen other crops, but look, white unto harvest is past harvest time. It's not golden anymore for the harvest. It's come to the point where it's, it's past harvest now. He's telling us that the, the fields are white unto harvest. Time is short. He's coming. The fields need to be taken in. They're out there for the picking. The horn is going to blow. The time is going to end. What are we doing to get that harvest in? Jude 3 tells us, and it's one of my life verses, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contending for that faith is getting the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ out to a lost and dying world. I'm thankful that I'll never feel one flicker of hell in the bottom of my soul. Because God saved me 100% through the blood of Jesus Christ. So are you really interested in the lost? Acts 26, 28, the witnessing of, of, of Paul to, to uh, King Agrippa. And his response was, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Look, Agrippa probably ended up in hell. I don't know. I don't know. But at that point, he said, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Are we out there persuading men? Proverbs 11.30. He that winneth souls is wise. And ending with Luke 15.7. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Over the 99 just. Look, is God satisfied with you as a Christian? And does he rejoice in the fact that you serve him? Absolutely. God loves us to serve him. It's all about God. Our service, our life here. He created us for fellowship with him. For his majesty, for his fellowship, we are here. We serve him. But as well as we do in serving him, the Bible says that there is joy in heaven, more so over anything, that one lost person gets saved. Be thankful that you are saved if you are. But think about all the people right now in your community that are facing an eternal hell. You're sitting here knowing the eternal truth. I don't know how active you are in your community. I'm just passing through by the grace of God to be able to be here, and I am so thankful for that. Only you know what you're doing in your community. But God's going to ask you, not me. You're going to say, brother, sister, so-and-so, you lived in the community of Craig or Slowak or any of these other areas around here that I can't pronounce. I'll just stick with the easy ones. But he's going to say, you lived there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How many people did you reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many people did you bring to me? Because the Bible says we are going to come to him with our reward. Not for my glory, but because I love him. I want Look, I don't want to stand behind somebody like D.L. Moody. Please, God, be merciful. I don't know how many crowns he's going to have. I just see wheelbarrows coming forward of the things that he did for the Lord. And other great men of God. I don't want to be anywhere in that line. I can think of some people I'd rather be around. But anyways... But when you get there, look, you don't want to be walking up there with one crown standing around the table, tossing with the crown when you hear that echoey sound. 
That's all you have to say. Look, Lord, you saved me with that song. I'll just when I come before him, it's not about me. I want to come before him where I can just load his presence mm-hmm. with the things that I earn, not for self, but for him because he loves me so much. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for him? And not only what are you doing for him, but again, Peter Blin is sold his wife. You have a dying community around you. And they think the things of this world, by what Lucifer has fooled them with, that they're happy. They're not. They're miserable. That true joy that I talked about earlier, happiness is conditional. Joy is a person in Jesus Christ. Are you doing what you are supposed to be doing as a Christian? Are you actively reaching the community around you? Because, listen, the unexpected can happen, and it does every day. I'm pleading with you one last time. If you've been here for a long time and people think you're saved and you're not, don't let pride stand in the way of salvation. I'm pleading with you if you're here and you don't know Christ. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what the next moment holds. And if you are saved, I'm challenging you to go out and reach a lost and a dying community around you. It's your responsibility. There are other churches here, but how many of them have the gospel truth? You do. You know what salvation is in Jesus Christ. What are they, what are they putting out there? False hope. You have the truth. You're going to stand for an account for it. I hope you're doing your most for the community around you. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for new hope, the spirit of this church. And I honestly believe that there are many here that actively try to reach their, their community. But maybe there are some here that could do some more. Lord, this isn't a rebuke on anybody here at all, Lord. I love these people. And, and Lord, is. I could point a finger out there and have ten more coming back at me for the things that I need to do more. The idea here, Lord, is if there's someone here that doesn't know you, first and foremost, that they would come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, to understand that there was sin that we're all part of, and that we are saved by the grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would come forward and ask him, Lord, through the work of the cross, that you would save us individually, because, Lord, if we were the only one, you would have went through Calvary for me, just me. Lord, help us to take this gospel to a lost and dying community. There are people around us today that are going to go to hell. Lord, there are more people breaking into hell today than there will be into heaven. Lord, help us to start changing our our thought that it's about us. It's about them. It's about you. And help us to come out of our comfort zone, not have excuses, but that we might do what you're calling us to, Lord. Help each one of us to do our part as we serve you in this world. It's in your name we pray. As the piano begins to play, The Lord's dealing with your heart. I would just ask you to deal with it accordingly.